Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hi, True Crime fans. I'm Erin. And I'm Shay. We host All Crime, No Cattle, a conversational podcast which focuses on true crime stories from the Lone Star State. We strive to bring you a balanced and well-researched story about Texas cases big and small. We do the research so you don't have to. We also end every episode with a good news story, just to remind everyone that real life isn't quite as depressing as true crime can make it out to be. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All crime, no cattle, because crime is bigger in Texas, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. sure that my left boob is gonna rot off why because all last week it itched and then all day today i've been having stabbing pains in it have you checked have you felt i I don't feel any lumps other than you know the lump of the boob but it's pretty weird after we're done i'll be more than happy to check you check all the time i'll check again you're not a very good part-time urologist if you can't find breast cancer you're right I don't think I am. It's time for me to really put my head down and push through. i got to buckle down and do it. Are you talking about motorboating? If it comes to that. (laughs) Will that help you diagnose me? It can't can't hurt. I don't know. That might hurt my boob even worse. Uh, It's been stabbing me all day. Are you wearing an underwire? Yeah, but it's not where it's stabbing. Oh. It's well, strange. That's all I got. Yeah. That's my. That's me being a doctor at the doctor's office. My breast is really hurting. You're wearing an underwire? Yeah. Well, there it is. That's not where it's stabbing. Oh, well. Yeah, little... You get a refund. Little fun fact. I may or may not have taken care of someone who let her breast cancer go for way too long. And when the family found out that she had it, she had maggots in it. Oh, man. Come on. So welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. 
My name is Erica. I'll be your host this evening with my achy boob. And with me is my second boob, my husband Billy. Hi. So, we got a first for you guys this evening. We are going to be covering our very first cult. We are going to be talking about The Family, which some people probably haven't heard of because I wasn't really familiar with them until the last few months. Sounds like a gang. (laughs) It does. Well, I mean, technically a cult kind of is a gang when you think about it. Yeah, I guess. And this is a cult from Australia. You know, you could do that with any connection if you just finish with if you really think about it. (laughs) You can make it work. You can really make it work. Look, 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 look. French fries and burritos are kind of the same food, really, when you think about it. it and it kind of you're kind of like, okay, I see where you're going. Because you're though, forcing people to stop and Yeah, think about even it. though you you know that they're wrong, they're like, well, I mean, they're trying to, they're pushing for it. <laughs> so. Tortillas are made from wheat. Wheat grows from the ground. Potatoes grow from the ground. Oh. <gasps> See, when you really think about it, they're kind of connected. Yep. Yeah. You're so smart. Yeah, I know. Pancakes and Chevy Trailblazers are kind of the same thing. Really, when you think about it. I mean, really think about it. My Trailblazer was kind of a sandy gold color. So are waffles. There you go. I thought you said pancakes. Pancakes. Are waffles related too? Waffles and pancakes are related. You don't have to think about that. That's just a fact. Wow. I want some fucking waffles. Fucking genius. Really, when you think about it, I kind of am. (laughs) All right, so let's dive in. Those who are devoted to me, they are united with me. Those who are not devoted, they don't know me. If you Google search the family... And check out the Wikipedia page. You'll see it listed as a quote-unquote Australian New Age group, which is basically just a nice way of saying cult. A cult, defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is quote... Cuckoos. (laughs) No. It is quote, a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. And spurious, which I had to look up, means quote, of falsified or erroneously attributed origin. So, basically, a fraud religion. That is kind of the simplest way to describe this Looney Tunes group of people. The family who have also been called... Do this it. This word's going to mess me up. Do it. Do it. The Santinaketan Park Association. I was going to give it a try, but I don't want to now. Santinaketan? Keaton? Something like that. Say Sewateneo. And the Great White Brotherhood of Initiates and Masters. And take from that what you will. Sounds a little KKK to me, but... I don't know, man, because it could be racial, or it could also be, like, in terms of, like, weird religions and stuff like that, white is also, like, pure and innocent. You know what I mean? I don't know. They didn't have any black people in this cult, I can tell you that. Well, with a name like that, you're not going to get a whole lot of black people signing up. Really, when you think (laughs) about it. Well, this uh, group was created in the 60s when Eastern philosophies and mysticisms began to flourish in Western cultured parts of the world. The group was taught a mixture of many religions, including Christianity and Hinduism, and believed that all of them were spiritually connected. 
aren't they though? I mean, <laughs> when you really think about it. <laughs> okay, honestly, when you really think about it, you're, you're you're worshiping something that's higher than yourself. Yeah, they're all kind of related. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> the basic principle was that each pivotal character in in each of those religions, including Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, they were all reincarnated on Earth to help save humanity. Aw, that's nice. Lucky for the people of Melbourne, they got reincarnated Jesus in the form of a female yoga teacher in her 40s named Anne Hamilton Byrne. Lucky ducks. I know. Man. <laughs> and, Boy, they need a break. All the horrible things, the animals and stuff in Australia. That's just like... Yeah. All the stuff that'll kill you. Yeah. The spiders and the snakes and that antelope that looks at you like you're next. Yeah. Or the water buffalo, I mean. They can have Jesus. That water buffalo in Australia? I thought that was more of an African thing. I don't know. It was on the deadliest creatures thing. But I say let's just give Australia a win. Give, <laughs> give them Jesus. It's okay. And, and when I go through the story, there is a lot of information about gurus and spiritualism and all these different paths and people that she followed. And I'm not going to get into all that because it just kind of muddies up the waters. We're here to focus on what happened after she kind of formed this group. So let's talk about Anne a little bit. Anne was actually born Evelyn Grace Victoria Edwards in 1921, and she grew up in a one-road farming settlement that was two hours east of Melbourne. She was the oldest of seven children. Her mother, Florence, who was originally from London, was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia after setting fire to her hair in the middle of a street. Yeah, that'd do it. <laughs> Well, because of this... It sounds like a dare or a bet. <laughs> I bet you won't go out there and set your head on fire. And then she's like, bitch, I'm Ghost Rider. You don't even fucking know. And then she went out and just did it. <laughs> and the cops were like, you're crazy. You're, you got a paradox schizophrenia. But she was like, I'm $20 richer. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it went down. Because she ended up spending 27 years in a psychiatric asylum. 20 pounds and $20 are kind of the same thing. Really, when you think about it. Deep, man. Yeah. Deep. Florence ended up dying in this facility that she was at. <laughs> From the burns to her fucking head. Uh, but yeah, she spent 27 years, so she was kind of absent in Anne's young life. Or Evelyn. I, that's a good thing, I think. And her father was a traveling worker working on the railroads. So Anne basically had to spend a lot of time in orphanages on and off as a child. Uh, because, you know, her mom's crazy. And her dad's away, so there they go, to the orphanage. And of course, they lived in extreme poverty, because seven kids, one traveling, working dad, you know, stretches pretty thin. Well, you know, if you're if you're an orphan without a dirty face and holding a chimney sweep, then what are you doing? Please, sir, may I have some more? You get it. Yeah. In 1941, Anne married a man named Lionel Harris at the age of 20, under the name Anne Hamilton. So I'm not sure if she changed her name when she got married or if she had already changed it by then. They had a daughter named Judith Harris, who would later be known as Natasha Hamilton Byrne. And it's rumored that she had several miscarriages after her daughter's birth. Aww. Her husband tragically died in a car accident in 1955 as the two were preparing to adopt a baby girl. By the 1950s, the practice of yoga had started emerging in the West and Anne grabbed on. She began teaching it in the 1960s, mostly to unhappy middle-aged housewives in the suburbs 
that were looking for new meaning in their lives. Not much has changed. Not much has changed. <laughs> well, Zumba class and... <laughs> yeah. I gotta do my Pilates. Pilates is hardcore. <laughs> that stuff is... That stuff hurts. She also had gay male followers that she offered refuge to from Australia's homosexuality laws at the time. She began rallying followers, even encouraging the unhappy housewives to leave their marriages to join her. I had been teaching yoga quietly because that was my master's last utterance. I had to start it. That was divine orders. That was my mission. That was the divine vision. Yeah, so she had this mission. She like came from gather all these people. I, I don't even know. Now that was, that was his dying words to spread yoga <laughs> mats. Oh. Well, she either had a brief marriage or sexual relationship, and different sources claim one or the other, to a man named Michael Riley, who was a gardener and caterer at Queens College, University of Melbourne. The source claiming they were married say the marriage only lasted about a year, but it brought her closer to a man that would be a huge influence in the cult, which we will get to in a minute. I can't help but think of all these different yoga poses, and one of them is my former teacher, and they all just lay there. <laughs> you know, like they're dead. Yeah. We call this one, my mom's hair is on fire. <laughs> it's not so much a pose as a movement. It's a studio full of... Angry suburban moms screaming and running into each other, rolling around on the ground. The whole time she's like, find your center. Find your center. Uh, and create. Yeah, one called the field position. It's called dad left again. <laughs> oh, we're horrible. Well, and- Yoga and abandonment. They're kind of the same thing. Really, <laughs> you really when you really think about, about it. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, she created a new persona as a spiritual guide. She began to claim that she was Jesus Christ reborn as a woman. But she needed a respected and well-known person to follow her. Kind of like Tom Cruise's to Scientology. It's one thing I give yoga credit for today. You know, they don't... There's some that probably do spiritual shit, but it was like at her class. They're like, oh, I just... I. Just so disconnected because it's such 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 a yoga star is like you need to see a fucking psychiatrist about this shit. I don't fuck tell you, sixty dollars please, thank you. See you next Tuesday. So she needed this well-known person to help increase her draw and appeal from the outside, and this is where that brief marriage came in handy, as her then husband or lover had once pointed out Dr. Rainer Johnson to her. Dr. Johnson was a highly respected British physicist and author, and he happened to be the master of Queen's College. And Anne had some insider information to use to her advantage. Because she got that dick. Whoa. Yep. Yep. She showed up at Dr. Johnson's door one night, and she claimed to him that she had ESP. And being the Messiah and all, you know, of course, she knew... That he had plans to travel to India with his wife. And she warned them that his wife would get very sick there and urged that they not go. Now, Johnson was near retirement and he was interested in this 
new wave spiritualism that have been gaining popularity in scientific circles. Isn't India the place to go? Yoga. Mm, yeah. It's like the motherland. But she was trying to get him on her side, so she was just saying whatever. It just seems kind of weird. Like, if I was that guy, I'd be like, why are you telling me not to go to India? You should be so happy that I'm going to India. <laughs> oh, but but no. She, she knew the future. This woman that he didn't know knew that he was going to India, and she shouldn't have. So, by God, she must have ESP. She must be the Messiah. And he was taking this involvement in the spiritualism and having no idea how Anne could have known of the upcoming trip, he started to kind of believe her. Do you know, I was, I'm was i a mystic too. Oh, really? Yeah, I did it today at work. I got a big laugh out of it. I'm going to think I'm going to do it a lot is this isn't Bad Decision Bandit. This is just Goofy Billy. Is I don't know why, but I told this customer to hand me a hundred dollar bill. Every time they in a liquor store, they hand a hundred dollar bill. Like, sorry, I hope you could break it. You know all that stuff. You know. And I was like, sure, I could break it. But for some reason, I was like, but watch, I will make this hundred dollar bill disappear. And I held it up in front of me. I was like, are you watching? Keep your eye on the bill. And I just wiggled it a lot, and I said, Shazam. And nothing happened. I said, motherfucker! And I started screaming. They laughed their asses off. It was really, I think I'm going to do that from, from now on. I've been trying for 36 years. I can't do it. <laughs> well, Dr. Johnson, you know, started to kind of believe her. And after experiments with LSD, you know, for scientific research, of course. I love that. Experiments with LSD. That's the coolest sentence in the world. He wrote in his journal that, quote, her face became divinely beautiful with sublime authority, and that she was, quote, unquestionably the wisest, serenest, and most gracious and generous soul I have ever met. I believe it if he said motherfucker. Yeah, he didn't say this shit about his wife. The most serene motherfucker I've ever seen. Evidently his wife is stupid and crazy. Then there's Sue. And selfish. <laughs> And he never realized that she was involved with the gardener slash caterer of his college that he was master of, which is how she got the scoop about India because of that dick. So now she had her foothold for creating a cult because she had the big name attached. Goals. You gotta set them. Yep. She went for him. Johnson followed Anne wholeheartedly, and he actually began to refer people to her, students, friends, colleagues, some who were having personal crises at the time and were desperately seeking answers to their problems. On their first meetings with Anne, she would greet them and say, quote, I've been waiting for you. You are special. And a lot of times that was all they needed to hear because all they wanted was some fucking validation and someone to be there for them. And here's this lady with open arms saying, you're wonderful, you're special. I've been waiting for you. And they fell right in. Anne would dub Johnson her, quote, John the Baptist. Why? He was her John the Baptist or her Jesus Christ. Who's John the Baptist? Guy in the Bible. Oh, oh, okay. He's the Baptist. His name's John. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Enough said. Yeah. Now, now, Duh, Billy. Now I feel stupid. Read a book. No, I don't want to read that one. <laughs> Johnson and his wife purchased a house in Fernie Creek for Anne to live in with her followers, and the family was born. 
Many wealthy professionals joined. Doctors, nurses, architects, lawyers, psychiatrists, social workers. All because the well-respected Johnson vouched for Anne's spiritual guidance. They began weekly meditation sessions and also began donating money. I'm sorry, weekly meditation sessions, that's nothing more. Remember guys, in kindergarten, we used to take the math and just have nap time. <laughs> there you go. I had a customer tell me, he's like, you seem kind of wound up and uptight. You should try meditation. I said, you meant taking a nap? He's like, true, the first couple times I did those off. I'm like, well, the fucking there you go, man. <laughs> well, they started sending this money in. And Anne used some of the money to build a purple throne in a specially built lodge to give sermons, which she called discourses. Now I want to join. Her followers all ended up buying <laughs> houses along the same fucking street just to be close to her. They, like, own the whole road of houses. Erica, two words. Purple throne. <laughs> That's what would draw you in? When you think about it. Mm. When you think about it. I'd love to have a friend who had a purple throne. I'd be like, hey, check out his purple throne. What's weird is you're not saying you yourself want the purple throne. That if I someone know. you know I wish I has the purple throne. I could have had a purple throne. When? When have you ever been oh. to the point where you could have had a purple throne? Erica, what a delicious fucking question. I'm going to go ahead and answer it. Remember that crown royal throne? True. Yeah. That was a beauty. All right. You got me there. It was so pretty. <laughs> Anne soon set her sights on a very successful local contractor named Bill Byrne. He ended up leaving his wife to be with Anne and the two eventually married both taking the last name Hamilton Byrne. That kind of gives you a little glimpse of the control she has over people when she makes her husband take her hyphenated name. Man, sick burn. <laughs> he was... <laughs> sick burn. Yeah. Come on. That was, that was decent. Come on. That was awesome. I mean, and he was considered like the second in command, but you knew who wore the pants. She was the leader. Anne told followers that she had come from royalty and owned castles in Europe, and that she had even had tea with the queen herself, and they believed her. She began to preach that an apocalyptic event would be coming, and that they needed to gather children to repopulate and re-educate the world. But this vision came to her while she was high on LSD. As one would. <laughs> we get ready to enter the next universe. Under the influence of LSD, she had this vision that she's got to collect all these children from birth. Because the end of the world was coming. Most of the population of the world's going to perish. She was preparing us to re-educate the world. What's left of it? Sometimes I'm ready for this event. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just ready. Yeah. Take it head on. Yeah. Like this morning when I got out of the shower. Took a shower. Halfway through the shower. I'm covered in soap. I have to take a shit. So I'm sitting on the toilet, trying to sit on the toilet, slipping everywhere, you know. And I'm thinking, my day is just fucking ruined. When is it over? What are we doing here? <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. Did you ever think about rinsing off before putting your sudsy ass on the toilet? Every poop is immediate. I need to do something immediately. Minus rinsing the soap off. I could be having tea with the queen. And if I get that bubble gut, I'm like, sorry, lady, I got to go. And then I'm going to shit either in her flower pot or a bathroom, whichever one I come across first. 
Okay, I see. Sphincter ain't got time for that noise. <laughs> Sphincter's busy. You know, to your butt, everything in the world's a toilet. Really, when you think about it. <laughs> the first children started coming into the cult in the 1970s. Due to Anne's reach through her professional followers, children were pretty easy to procure. One of the senior detectives... They're not flowers you could just pick. Oh, well, she thought they were. Somewhere in her mind, she, like, wanted to make the exact opposite of what her childhood had been. She's a weird-ass Is Johnny my feeling. She wanted all these children to repopulate and re-educate the world and blah, 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 blah. Well, she's Jesus, so I yeah. get it. Sure, why not? Well, one of the senior detectives in the Victoria Police Force, Lex DeMann, said... Said, said you're not taking my kid. Get off my lawn. No. <laughs> he said, quote, You had babies born in cult hospitals delivered by cult midwives handed over to cult social workers. Because all of these people in these high professional positions were the ones in charge of... You know, these births and these children and... You're in charge of all these births. No, I'm not. No, you're not. (laughs) Some unwed mothers were tricked into thinking their babies were going to good homes. Lawyers in the cult would falsify paperwork. And others were taken by more sinister means. Other people that were like on the lower level of the cult were like, Nah, nah, it's dope. Let me get that kid. (laughs) Nah, have you seen it? It's a purple throne. (laughs) <laughs> how how are you not going to be happy? I saw it once. I took a picture of it. Then then she yelled at me. She was on LSD. <laughs> it's really dope. <laughs> Seriously, if you go through anybody's house, it doesn't matter if it's this time or it could be 50 years from now. If you walk through somebody's house and you, you have to stop at that room and be like, is that a fucking purple throne? <laughs> or my girl. That's or my amazing. Like you would, you would nudge your wife or husband, be like, "We need to get a fucking purple throne." The cult doctor arranged for my biological mother to be drugged and made to sign uh, an adoption form. During my birth, a pillow was put over her head. She was given major tranquilizers, and as soon as I was born, I was taken away instantly. She wasn't even allowed to see, look at me. That's depressing as shit. Yeah, Anne went through some really sinister routes to get these kids. And then she told the children that she was their mother and led them to believe that they were all brothers and sisters. She would even fake pregnancies and wear large smocks to appear pregnant. What's the name of that song? That's stuck in my head now. Primus. I got Costilian. Was when I was five or whatever. That's not Primus. Oh, That's it? Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction. Because she wore a uh-huh. thing and stuff stuff up in there. <laughs> I like that song too. I gotta check that out. Why did I say Primus? What's wrong with me? I don't know. I have that album. You can check it out anytime you want. I got Spotify. I'll check it out right now. No, you won't. We're recording. No, we're recording. All right, go ahead. <laughs> She told them that they were going to be a new master race after the apocalypse. Ah, uh, now I see the white thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Never mind. All the children had to match. The boys wore matching clothes. The girls wore matching clothes. And many of them, both boys and girls, 
had their hair bleached white blonde to match them and give the appearance of being biologically related. Like Village of the Damned. <laughs> yeah. The boys all had long bowl cuts, and with the white hair, they looked like the children from Village of the Damned. And they spoke in unison with the same tone of voice, and there's no way they could she have rehearsed it. She seriously, like, taught them how to sing. They had their own choir and shit. It was fucking weird. Yeah, there's nothing cute about that. That's just very off-putting. Yeah, she wanted them to be the real-life version of the Von Trapp family from The Sound of Music. I wanted them to look like brothers and sisters, though. I must admit this. I love them in their little smocks and jeans and the long hair and ribbons. It was beautiful. They all took the last name Hamilton Byrne. Over time, the number of children under Anne's leadership grew to 28. That's the thing. I can understand, like, you see a little toehead running around, you know, like, oh, look at this. cute. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, he's got his sister. I think there, there's a lot coming down that hill. Okay, this is fucking weird. This is creepy. Now, we should go. Now, not all of them had the bleached hair. They said that if they were redheaded, she would allow that because her natural hair color was red. Oh. So there were a couple redheads. The rest were all... Village of the Damned. Nobody could say shit, too, because, you know, Purple Throne. <laughs> I think she simply set about it as a project. You know, I'll collect as many kids as I can. Once she became the leader of the cult, I think she would get whatever she wanted. I think one thing that she wanted was lots of little children. Little perfect little children in perfect little dresses with perfect little blonde hair. Why did you start to take in the children? I love children. She's just looked me straight in the face and said, I had these three children. I'm thinking, you didn't have those three children. You, know, you must think I'm a bloody idiot to tell me that. <laughs> but I just said, oh, yes, OK, agreed with her. She's not somebody you argue with. So it sounds like she was born a little too early because if she was born when I was born... There's this thing called Pogs, and you would collect all of them, dude. <laughs> or like Pokemon. Gotta catch garbage them all. Garbage Pail Kid cards. <gasps> oh, Garbage Pail. Don't want some Garbage Pail cards. <laughs> Someone I, I, I send have... Billy Garbage Pail Kids cards. We have two kids. I can't imagine 20. I 28. 28. Almost 30. You would never see me again. I would just get in the car, find a direction, and go. <laughs> Get your motor running. When's Dad coming back for, with, with the milk? Oh, honey. <laughs> He's got to go find the cow first. He's yeah. going to go find the pregnant cow, give birth to the cow, take care of the cow, raise the cow, milk the cow, get the milk, sit it aside, kill the cow, get steak. It's going to be a while. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm in, I'm in like New Orleans telling the story like I'm a... <laughs> like Some survivor. Campfire story like I'm in a bar. <laughs> And I made them turn the lights out, like forcefully made them turn the lights there out. There I was, no shit. The light with with a <laughs> with, with a flashlight underneath my chin of like twenty eight kids, and they're all like, <gasps> <laughs> "Well, the thing is, all the children lived separate from the adults, two hours away from the cult's main base. They lived in an isolated wooden lodge compound near Lake Eildon, near Victoria. That sounds about right." A group of women followers called aunties were assigned to take charge of them. Between Anne and her aunties, the children's lives were miserable from the start. David Whitaker, a child survivor of the cult, stated, quote, There was only one rule. 
do absolutely everything she said. That included what to think, what to wear, what to eat, who to marry, who not to marry, total obedience. The children were often beaten and or starved for several days for minor transgressions like getting their clothes dirty or just forgetting to turn off a light when they left the room. And even though Anne wanted the children, she didn't actually seem to have any interest in raising them herself, which is why the aunties were used. And I would assume that's because she never really learned how to raise kids. She didn't know what the proper upbringing was because she was left in a fucking orphanage half the time. You know, I know people like that. Want to have a baby because the baby's cute. And mm-hmm. then the baby gets older and they're like, no, I don't want that anymore. Yeah. She wanted to have them because, you know, and I think in her mind, she relates the childhood to being in the orphanage, you know, is this horrible time. And she wants these kids to make it look like some big happy family, but she doesn't really know what the fuck to do with them. So she's like, hey, I got all these kids over in that lodge. I want you to take charge of them. They're mine, but you watch them. And is they would have. And she's Jesus, so what she says exactly goes. they would have to because they'd be like, I don't have any kids. I don't even know how to spell the word diaper. And then he'd be like, I'm Jesus. And they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and, and a lot of these ladies were like nurses, you know, and professional ladies. And uh, so they could probably spell diaper. Yeah, probably. I hope. But they can't spell Sanitinikitan Park Association word. You're right. Yep. You're right. Mm-hmm. I know. I interviewed all of them. <laughs> so, and one of the kids, but the aunties raised them, quote unquote, raised them. But if Anne paid a visit and one of the children stepped out of line, she would certainly dole out her own punishment, preferring to beat them with a stiletto shoe. Ow. Yeah. And when she was away, she would often listen over the phone as the children were being punished by the aunties. The refrigerator would be padlocked, but the cats and dogs in the house would be fed. Sometimes the kids would be forced to scavenge off the pet's food and treats. One survivor claimed that she got so hungry that she scavenged out of the trash bins and even ate leaves. She stated, quote, It's better to keep your victims weak so they have less ability to fight back. End quote. That's horrible. That is. If someone went to bed, they'd get cold showers. One of the youngest girls did not speak until I think she was five. One of the boys had asthma. He was wheezing and sniveling. So these nurses would put him outside in the cold at night. You never questioned it because you'd be slapped across the face. There were times when she would want to hear us scream for being naughty over the phone. She'd ring up and ask, to listen to us receiving beltings. Leanne says the children suffered other terrifying tortures, similar to waterboarding. They used to fill up buckets of water and one by one they would hold us down and put our heads in the water and ask us questions and pull your head up and ask the question again and put it down in. and... And you remember absolute terror. That's the horror when it was uncontrollable, which is what Bill would do. used to have a very, very bad temper. Watching her being belted with a buckle, being beaten to the point where she's wriggling out of her clothes. Just horrendous. The children were also forced to participate in macabre memorials for Anne's pets when they would die. Hey, that's a part of the title of our show. 
Yeah, macabre. That's my contribution. (laughs) The decomposing animal would be put on display for three days in the room where the children slept before being buried. They had to sleep with a decomposing animal for three days. It'd be crazy if it was posed in the way of like, you know, the size of the lambs when he broke, when Hannibal Lecter broke free and he hollowed out that guard and just had him like <laughs> up <laughs> his arms out. Children were expected to live by the cult's motto, which was, quote, shut up, kid. <laughs> no, but it was three words. Unseen, unheard, unknown. The fuck? One way they achieved that was to give the children daily doses of Mogadon and Valium. Valium being an anti-anxiety medication that calms you down, and Mogadon being a sleeping aid, both of which are narcotic. And Anne probably had no problem getting access to narcotic medications because so many of her followers were doctors and nurses. So they would just fucking write a script. She had psychiatrists following her, medical doctors. She had free reign of any kind of medication. The children had to get up at 5.30 a.m. each morning and perform a yoga meditation. Then they would set up the boys' room for school. Since all of the children were registered as being homeschooled, the education department made occasional checks. You know, there was these wonderful equations on, on the board to make us look advanced and sophisticated, you know, above our level, which was never, never true. We were dumb as shit. <laughs> and the children certainly were too frightened to tell outsiders anything that was going on. Anna Ray says she fantasized about telling the education inspector the truth, but never got the chance. He was never in the room with us by himself. The aunties were always around. So, yeah, they knew that these kids weren't up to the standards and just faked it. They didn't even fucking care to teach these kids right. We'll just put some X and Y and, you know, the number two on the board and make it look like they're learning shit. (laughs) Makes me think of like a school that isn't doing very well. So the state comes in and checks on them. Mm -hmm. And every teacher, it doesn't matter if it's math or science or English or what. They all take the same screenshot from Goodwill Hunting. Where there's like this big, huge equation (laughs) on the board. They just put it (laughs) on their board. (laughs) Why is that up there? This is... This is sociology. Why do you have that up there? Our kids are really, really smart, sir. They're really, they're, they're little whippersnappers. Tell you what, don't <laughs> mind telling you. Don't look at their grades. No, don't, don't, don't look at their grades. This is eighth grade, sir. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Little geniuses. Tell you what, they, I'll tell you, they teach me most times. You know, they really are smart when you think about it. Sir, this is permanent marker. Well, <laughs> <laughs> They love that equation. That's their favorite one. (laughs) Mine is 2 plus X equals 3. I'm like, I know what X is. Damn, I'm smart. (laughs) Anne's biological granddaughter, Anne and some of the others would sometimes sneak off the property, curious about the outside world. They would peep into windows to try and see how other people lived. Neighbors around the lake actually called the cops on several occasions after hearing children screaming. Yeah, screaming kids with bleach blonde hair that peek in your window in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, I'd get the gun out. Well, what's really fucked up... I've seen Village of the Damned. You ain't getting me. ...is the aunties would see the cops pulling up and would force all 28 kids to hide in a hole in the wall 
that was then covered with a painting. So it made it look like there weren't even fucking kids there. It's like some Scooby-Doo shit. Yeah. The aunties would have the cops in and offer tea, and the children had been conditioned to believe that all outsiders were evil, especially the police. She said if we did ever tell the police that they would throw us into burlap sacks and beat us and rape us. I do remember one question the police people asked us, and that was, are you being fed properly? Well, that, that's, that's um, a very difficult question. You know, I was surviving, I was alive. Yeah, sure, I'm being fed properly. You know? Well, how much are you supposed to have? You know, I, don't, I had no idea. <laughs> So, yeah, are you being fed properly? Like, I don't know. Look, <laughs> lift up your shirt and you see like every rib and your heartbeat. And like, do other people eat dog treats too? Well, then I'm probably not being fed properly. Oh, I had a couple leaves today. I'm stuffed. Yeah. Woo. Gotta watch my figure. <laughs> it's not clear if it started with the now 500 plus adults or the 28 children first, but Anne began ordering the family members to take LSD. For the adults, she said it was for ceremonial rituals she called clearings. Or just really, really fun times. <laughs> Scientific experimentation. <laughs> Air quoted the fuck out of that. Once they were administered by LSD in a dark room, the door would appear open, and here would be Anne standing there in a flowing white gown. Behind her was a bucket of dry ice, which permeated like smoke. And under the hallucinogenic drug of LSD, they were actually convinced that they were seeing the Almighty, that they were seeing Jesus Christ. So all Anne needed was a bucket of dry ice, some LSD, and this production, and she could convince some of the smartest people in Australia to follow her. Professionals, absolutely. It's a bizarre story, but it's a fact. So, yeah, she just had her own little play where she pulled out some dry ice and came in the door all, Ooh, I'm Jesus! And they were like, oh, You're Jesus. What? I need to get LSD and some dry ice. <laughs> We need that stat. This sounds like a really fun Thursday. (laughs) Now with the children, usually around the age of about 14, they would undergo Anne's form of initiation. They would be placed alone in a dark room and given, quote, huge relentless doses of LSD for several days, according to journalist and co-author of the book, The Family. Anne would come in every now and again and sat down beside me and whispered in my ear, Who is Jesus? And then somehow the thought popped into my head, you're Jesus. And she goes, that's right, David. You always knew I was the Lord. Fucking cray cray. The LSD left some of the children with nightmares, personality changes, social withdrawal, and or depression, sometimes for months after. And this was on top of all the shit that they already had to endure. It seems like this is why people make fun of white people. Shit like this. Yeah. Some God of, damn, just knock it off, guys. <laughs> Stop being so fucking weird. Some of the 28 children were actually born into the cult and then given over to Anne and then placed in the auntie's care. And aside from taking their children, Anne decided on marriages and divorces within the cult members 
There were husbands and wives swapping under Anne's direction. She would order people to leave their spouses, and they would, whether by belief in Anne or for fear of being put away in a psych ward. Well, what are you going to do? Jesus told you to do it. But one of the cult members actually ran a local psych hospital. And one survivor stated, quote, There was always the threat of the mental hospital. She said it only takes two psychiatrists to commit you. So even if you didn't believe her, you're scared that she's going to have you committed into a psych ward. So you kind of felt like you had to do what she said no matter what. Yeah. Anne also sucked as much money as she could out of the followers. One of the former cult children said that, quote, Anybody who joined the family had to pay dues. She was offering them a way into heaven. Anne used these dues to purchase properties, travel, and to get plastic surgeries to keep the youthful appearance of being immortal. And that stuff that they eat. That's really gross. What? They put it on toast. Vegemite? She bought a lot of that. <laughs> because she's Australian, she had to have Vegemite? Well. <laughs> Is, do you guys have to have that? Is that like a main staple? Let us know on social media. Send us an email. Send us some Vegemite. I want to try some. I don't, but sure. Send us some Vegemite. I bet if I go to the international section of our local like grocery store or something, or that new one that opened up, that new organic market that just opened up, you know, mm-hmm. I bet I go find some there. I don't know. But if someone wants to send us some, send us an email. We'll, we'll give you our, the address. <laughs> so over the years, of course, as with any cult, some followers defected and they actually reported the cult. But investigators and authorities could find no solid evidence of what was being reported. They thought they were lying. They were like, who in this world has a purple throne? You are talking out of your ass, dude. Well, I mean, the kids were either forced to hide in a hole in the wall or, you know, they were so trained that they couldn't speak up. So they didn't really find any definitive proof that any of this was going on. But as some of the kids got into their teenage years, they started to get fed up. Now, at 15, one of the children, Leanne, confronted Anne face to face. Anne slapped her across the face, so Leanne bitch slapped her back. Ooh, good. Good for her. Immediately regretting it. <laughs> she was like, I'm not hanging around for what will come from this. And she jumped out a window and ran down to the lake where she spotted a house with lights on. So she ran up to the house and asked the couple living there to call the police. Leanne told the police about the House of Horrors, but they didn't come to her rescue. Instead, they called the compound and spoke to the aunties, who convinced them that Leanne was an unstable child that had run off. The police then took Leanne back to the house. There's a lot of that going on in all these stories we cover. (laughs) Cops never believe kids for shit. Yeah! So, Leanne laid low and... Didn't try anything else for, like, another two years. And then when she was 17, she tried to get out again. Quite by chance, I ended up in exactly the same house. The husband was there. And he said to me, oh, you're the same girl that ran away those few years ago. Incredibly, the police even sent the same officer. This time I said to him, I will sleep in the gutter if you don't do something. You didn't believe me the first time, and I don't care if you don't believe me this time, but I'm not going back there. So he said, no, that's okay. He said, I've got someone I'll take you to. Now, once she was in the foster home, Leanne wouldn't talk about the cult, focusing instead on her future in the outside. 
we weren't taught anything about the outside world. I didn't even know how to cross a road. I remember going to the bank and asking them if I could borrow $50 to go and buy clothes. So, I mean, they must have thought I was really weird because no one asked to borrow $50. 17-year-old Sarah was still at the compound and she had a falling out with Anne as well and was actually asked to leave. And she was like, all right, I'll go fucking sleep in the gutter if I have to. Some locals took her in and she eventually was reunited with Leanne. And the two of them together decided to go to the police. This time they laid it all out. The, the beatings, the LSD, the starvations, the tortures. Police took the matter seriously this time. Thank you, finally. And started planning a raid on the compound. In the pre-dawn hours of August 14, 1987, Victorian and federal police went into the family's compound and removed the children. One of them, a 12-year-old, was reportedly only three feet tall and was dying from malnutrition. Although, I didn't find any sources saying anyone actually died. There were only seven children left at the compound, ages 11 to 18. Some of the rest were in boarding schools in England, and the others were living with their actual cult parents. Leanne was brave enough to go with the authorities for the raid, to comfort her sisters and brothers as she knew them. And she did that because she knew this would be very traumatizing to them. And she wanted them to have a familiar face because they would have no clue what the fuck was going on. And in the the documentary I got most of this from, it's from 48 Hours. And I'll put the link to this two-part documentary in the show notes. But there's actual audio clips of, you know, the children freaking out and her telling them, you know, just take some deep breaths. It's going to be okay. But you can actually hear that uh, on the documentary. Now, at the time of the raid, Anne was overseas, but her second in command, her husband Bill, was there. He asked Leanne, quote, how could you betray us like this? Fucker. Uh. The children were taken to a group home and allowed to eat a full breakfast as much as they wanted. Three days later. (laughs) (laughs) Their fright that morning washed away into relief that night. So I'm lying in bed at the end of that night, thinking through what had happened through the day. What I'd said, what I hadn't said, and realizing I no longer have to check what I say. I'm not going to get in trouble if I say something wrong. And I think to me... It's probably when I realized the prison doors had opened for good. But amazingly, none of the adults were arrested that day. Bill and the aunties were allowed to leave while authorities continued to investigate. So Bill hopped on a fucking plane and vanished overseas with Anne. Now, even though Anne and Bill were gone, the truly devoted continued to meet at the lodge and then they would listen to tape-recorded sermons that Anne would mail to them. Through 1988 and 89, a case was slowly built against eight cult members, three of which were aunties who had allegedly physically abused the children. Unfortunately, there weren't any photos to document injuries or hospital records to corroborate the children's statement. So the charges of child abuse were dropped. Those three aunties, along with the five others, were instead all charged with applying for false government benefits, which they then turned over to Anne. All eight pleaded guilty and were fined and ordered to repay $223,000 that they had stolen. 
Only a few received minimal jail time, and many of the child victims felt cheated by the light charges and minimal punishments. I think that's pretty fucked up. Just because you can't find physical proof doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Yeah. And we're talking about these tortures and starvations over years and years. So, how are you going to have proof? Well, Operation Forest was started in 1989 by Lex DeMann and five other detectives. It was a special unit specifically assigned to target the family and investigate the allegations of child abuse, both physical and chemical, because of the LSD. This whole time, Anne was nowhere to be found. The team heard conflicting tips on where she might be, the UK, the US. She went to get milk. Anywhere outside of Australia. And I thought of where in the world is Anne Hamilton Byrne? Anne Hamilton Byrne. (laughs) Lex eventually heard that Peter Kibbe, who was Anne's lawyer, had left the cult. Now Kibbe, suffering from OCD, he had to be clean. And he would take like two to three hour long showers at times. So, to gently apply some pressure on Kibby, Lex had him arrested for fraud and thrown into a jail cell, which was definitely not up to his cleanliness standards. <laughs> he so, probably lost his shit. <laughs> yeah, so after posting bail and probably a five hour long shower with a colonic chaser, he spilled the beans. Because <laughs> he did not want to fucking go back. That's cool, man. That's really good leverage to have. <laughs> Yeah, he was like, please don't put me back in there. I'm ready to talk. You're like, oh, he's not talking? <laughs> Take him to the junkyard. Yeah. Leave him there for an hour. Smudge him with some oil. <laughs> yeah. He admitted to helping... Sneeze on him. Yeah. He admitted to helping forge birth certificates for Anne, giving Lex the first tangible evidence needed to arrest Anne and Bill. Though the charges were considered minor, conspiracy and perjury for falsifying birth certificates it would be enough for extradition back to Australia if they could be located. Ann and Bill stayed ahead of the police for four and a half years. And then Ann fucked up. She called one of the children in Australia, Sarah Moore. Despite knowing Sarah was working with investigators, they were, of course, able to trace the call to 10,000 miles away in upstate New York where Ann owned property in Hurleyville. And Lex notified the FBI. Dun, 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 dun. When the agent picked the phone up in New York, uh, the first words were, "Now, I'm, a, I'm from Victoria, an Australian police officer. Don't think I'm mad, but I'm going to tell you this story about Jesus Christ reincarnated in the female form." It's <laughs> one hell of a way to introduce yourself. Yeah. <laughs> After some lengthy reconnaissance on the property and its tenants. FBI agents surrounded the large house at dawn on June 4th of 1993. Thankfully, there weren't any children at the house. Anne was now 71, frail-looking, and had a hairline that started almost halfway back on the top of her head from multiple facelifts. And I'll let you in on a little secret. She didn't look like Jesus. I'm going to pull a picture of her now so you can see. Oh, cool. It's fucking crazy. Oh, she looks so unfortunate. <laughs> See how far back that hairline is? Yeah, and with those facelifts, with the eyebrows, she always looks kind of surprised. Yeah. She looked fucking crazy. And, of course, when she had to go to court and stuff, she would put a wig on. But, yeah. Oh, God, she looks like 
she really looks like she wants to speak to the manager. <laughs> so fucking horrible. It's literally like halfway back her head. I don't, I don't understand how doctors could agree. I mean, she had a large forehead to begin with, but dear God, it's literally halfway back her head. It's like samurai. Oh. She's got like a samurai haircut. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Nothing like Jesus. Uh, so, Ann and Bill, getting off of the hairline, Ann and Bill gave themselves up without incident, but Ann asked on the drive to the jail how long it would be because she hadn't eaten breakfast. Let's just think about that. Let that sink in. We were always starving. One of the punishments for us was for um, to take away our meals. So the longest I ever went without food was for a week. She hadn't had breakfast, but these children were allowed to starve for up to a week at a time. Fucking bitch. Hairless bitch. Fucking hairless bitch. After being held in jail in New York for two months, the couple was finally extradited back to Australia in August of 1993, and Lex DeMann flew into JFK Airport to personally escort them back. A year later, a bewigged Anne and husband Bill went before the judge, but not for child abuse or neglect, not even for falsifying documents, as Anne's entourage had done all that dirty work for her. The two were only facing one charge of conspiracy to make a false statement. They would only face a maximum of five years in prison and $60,000 worth of fines, and that's if they got the maximum. Because, according to Judge David Jones, fucking idiot of the fucking millennia, Anne and Bill were in their 70s, not in good health, and they had no prior convictions. So he only punished them with a $5,000 fine each. That's it. What, what, what happened when, like, you take their condition into account? Like, we're going to give you this many years, but how are you feeling are you okay? Because you look kind of yeah, frail. What, were, what was the condition of the kids when they were starving and being beaten Ugh. and having their hel- heads held underwater and waterboarded? Fucking, no. no $5,000? Really? I'd be outraged if I was one of those kids. Oh, yeah. Well, investigators and prosecutors felt that the only way that they could have brought more charges would have been to put the children on the stand and potentially cause them more psychological damage. Now, many feel that the prosecutors underestimated the children's strength and resilience and that they should have moved forward with more serious charges. Now, I would think, how about you go to the kids who are now mostly teenagers or adults and can probably fucking handle it and ask them, would you be willing to get on the stand? I'm sure most of them probably would have said yes. You know, I'd probably go to jail if I was one of those kids because if I was put on the stand, I'd say, you know what? I hope you don't go to jail. I hope you don't go to jail. Because I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to take care of this shit. Mm-hmm. You know? And, I, and they, they, they they get me for threatening them. And then I get the maximum sentence because I'm not frail. Yeah. You're not frail. So part of me is like, you know what? I'm glad. I'm kind of glad they got this sentence. I hope, you know. I know what happens, but at the same time, it's like, man, I, I bet you there's at least one of those kids that's like, you know what? Fuck it. Good. Good. Let them go home. Let them go home tonight. <laughs> Well, Bill died in 2001, and as of February of this year, 2018, 
Anne was still alive, but on palliative care for dementia in a Melbourne nursing facility, having never admitted to any wrongdoing. Well, if she has dementia, then... Yeah, at this point, she doesn't recall anything, so it'd be impossible to try and ask her. Yeah. Up until that point, she's still... Even as far as a judge goes with that, I'd be like, okay, well, the lights are out. Fucking, what are you going to do? She doesn't even know what's... At this point, I mean, she's in her 90s now, and she has dementia, so there's nothing they can do now. And I didn't find anywhere that she's actually passed, but she's probably pretty close to it. Now, even though she's no longer running this family cult and in charge... Her estate is still estimated to be worth $10 million that she has gotten from these people. Well, let's be honest. $2 million. $8 million. For the Purple Throne. Purple Throne. (laughs) Well, uh, and the cult. They're still fucking followers. It is still there in Australia. Including this dickweed, Michael Stevenson Helmer who actually showed up at one of the child victim survivors' funerals two years ago to proclaim Anne's divinity and declaring the victim as a liar at her fucking funeral. Ah, God. Talk about spitting on your own corpse. I mean, that's spitting on a corpse. Mm -hmm. Damn near literally. Yeah. So let's hear a little bit from this fuckhead. There was an awful lot of goodness that went on there too. That's never mentioned by those dear children who are victims and will remain victims until the day they die. They never mention the good times, do they? Well, I mean, that good time you went outside and ate a leaf? Yeah. Or hid in the wall? Uh-huh. Yep. Or, you know, weren't taught basic things about growing up and had to watch the animals be fed while you were starving. And then look at or, their fucking weird-ass altar when they died. Or, or, you know, beat with a stiletto shoe or poor, waterboarded. Poor Brian, who couldn't breathe well, was sitting out in the cold. Yeah. Let's, I would let's say, put the asthmatic kid outside in the cold. I would say he was crying, but he was more wheezing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those, those good times? Is that what you're talking about? And seriously, in this documentary, he's just sitting there so smug, and he's talking about how... He just felt like when he was in her presence, he was just known. She understood him. Well, he probably had breakfast that day. Yeah, exactly. And he was like 19, I think they said, when he joined. And you can tell he's older now. He's got to be in his maybe early 60s. And he's just totally enamored with her still to this day. He's fucking smug piece of shit. Yeah. So, uh, that was our very first cult for you guys hope you enjoyed it and at the beginning of the episode we played a promo for you guys from all crime no cattle it's a good show they cover true crime based in texas my motherland (laughs) billy's motherland so please go check them out it's a good show show them some love and support do not mess with texas (laughs) and while you're at it show us some love and support get on apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a review Uh, If you can do that on any other podcast app or Facebook, anywhere that you can, leave us a positive review, maximum number of stars or thumbs up or whatever is available. That would be so much appreciated. It helps with our visibility, helps more people kind of come to the show and be aware of it. And we would really appreciate that. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis and the Macabre and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. 
Visit our website, martinisinthemacabre.com. There's a fully playable track listing, fully playable music listing from all the great songs from Minimus Noah. And you can find his new album, Views, on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp, a bunch of places. Just get on our website. You'll see the links there. It's a really great album. Help support independent artists. We would love it if you would go check it out. Um, Also on the website, there is a contact page. And if you want to email us directly without having to go to the website, it's martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com. Always feel free to message us on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, too. You're more than welcome to. Please get on, you know, our our pages and stuff and post and share. We love seeing you guys all interact with each other. Also, uh, you can join our fan base page on Facebook called Friends Who Like Martinis in the Macabre. And we try and post to both when we post something. So get on there to stay uh, ahead of the game. Know what's hip. coming down the road. Yeah, don't be a square. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if we have any news or anything, we try and put it out there for you guys on, you know, the social media so you guys have advanced knowledge if something's coming up or something's changed. So get on there. And if you do get on Apple Podcast or somewhere, you leave us a, a good review, send us a screenshot of that, uh, send it to our email, and give us your address. We'll send you a sticker. Also, if you really want to support the show, you can get on Patreon and donate. Even a dollar gives you access to all the patron-only audio that we put out each month. Right now, we're trying to do about two extra, uh, not really episodes or shows or anything, but two extra things a month on Patreon for all of you guys. We really appreciate our Patreon supporters. Like two additional content. Yeah, additional audio content. Um, We want to thank Kate, Hunter, Cooper, and Bridget. You guys are amazing. We appreciate your support so much. Any little bit helps, and we thank you in advance for any contributions you may give us. So, I think that's it. Of course, we're going to put a new song from Minimus Noah at the end of this episode, so be sure to listen until the end. And did you have anything else you needed to add? Yeah, um, I've been off Twitter for a while. Uh, I've been off of social media for a while, actually. I have so. too. Things have been really busy it's around here. It's been pretty here. hectic around here. But uh, I'll get back on there. And um, Amelia, we are going to call you. We haven't forgotten. <laughs> we are. <laughs> so just get with us and we'll get with you. Have your people call my people. And by that, he means... Call Erica. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. Because we don't have people. And we're assuming you don't have people. We don't, we don't have anybody. You have more people than we do. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. We love you guys so much. Mwah, mwah, mwah. And until next time, stay safe, snuggle bunnies, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.
follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you.